I'm sure you can think of many moments in history where you would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. I'm sure that will depend on our different interests. If you're into world wars and history of wars, I'm sure you'd love to have been on the um, fly on the wall for some major decisions in one of the wars, you know, to see how they came up with these plans and these tactics. Or maybe if you're into finance, you'd have liked to have been in, in the offices on Wall Street maybe before the big financial crashes that have happened over the years and seen just what happened. Or perhaps uh, a lover of music, you'd have loved to have been in the room when some of these musicians composed their amazing pieces of music just to see how they came up with these tunes and melodies. Or maybe you're a sports fan and you'd love to have been in a, uh, the boardroom when uh, people decide on transfers or reasons for people uh, leaving or different things. And you think, oh, what happened there? I'd love to know. You know, when we think of those situations, listening in those conversations would help answer some questions that we might have. Because as we listen in onto those privileged kind of places and situations, you, there are things that can be answered that we don't know right now. Well, in this passage, we get to be a fly on the wall. We get to eavesdrop on the most wonderful, eye-opening passage uh, that, we, that we see here. Here is the Son of God speaking to his Father. He is praying about the cross. So in this passage today, it helps us to, to find answers to the, some of the most deepest, most profound questions we can have as human beings. Now this morning, just before we jump in, if you're not a Christian and you're, you're listening and you're here and you're, or you're watching, I want you to look at this passage, we'll spend three weeks looking at it, I want you to look at it in this way. What if this is true? What if this really is the Son of God, God in flesh, talking to his Father in heaven? If that is true, and if that is what is happening here, then surely that is something we need to listen to. So why not, over these next three weeks, as we spend time looking at this, uh, listen as if it is true. And this is who is, Jesus is who he says he is, uh, and this is something that you need to listen to. And if you are a Christian, I'm sure as we think on this passage and just what is going on here, you can see with me that we are on holy ground. God the Son, Jesus Christ, speaking to his Father, and we get to listen in. What a privilege. And as, as, as pray together that our hearts would be enlarged as we spend these weeks looking at this passage, that our, uh, our heart would be amazed at who Jesus is, that we would love him more as a result of spending time in this passage. So as I said, listening in on these conversations behind closed doors would help us with some big questions that we might have about history or um, things that we might wonder. Well, listening in to the prayer of Jesus helps us answer some huge questions about life. Here are the three questions that this helps us with this morning that we'll look at. This helps us with this question, who is God? Then we'll answer the question, who are we? And then thirdly, how can we be saved? There's three questions that we need answering, and this passage helps us to answer those things. The first question then, who is God? So where are we in this passage? Well, remember what we've seen over the last many weeks. Jesus is teaching his disciples. They are troubled, they are worried, because he has said, I'm going away, and you can't come with me. Uh, and so they are um, all over the place because of that. They're in emotional turmoil, and Jesus stops and he tells them, I want to comfort you, and I help you. You know, I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will make my presence known in your hearts. You know, don't worry. Be, uh, don't be afraid. And just as he's about to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, just as he's about to, be, to see Judas again and be betrayed, 
and handed over to the Roman soldiers. Just before that moment, he takes, he pauses and he prays. This prayer just before this moment of horror that's about to happen. And so he lifts, uh, we see in verse 1, he lifts his eyes to heaven and he starts to speak. Now as we listen in, we, we hear and we learn who God is and what he's like. Jesus here, listen to how he talks about himself. Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son, the son, may glorify you. He's talking himself about himself as the son of God. He is speaking to his father. We've already spent time in chapters 15 and 16 thinking about the spirit and who he is. And look what verse 5 tells us. It says that I want the glory I had with you before the world existed. You know, Jesus, in verse 24, just jump down there quickly. Do you see what he tells us there? I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So we're seeing here, we're getting a picture of who God is. Jesus didn't just turn up in Bethlehem. He didn't just exist from that point on. Here we're being told that he has always existed. John chapter 1 verse 1. Remember that famous verse that we might have heard, heard read at Christmas. You know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. In the beginning. So this is, Jesus has always existed with the Father and the Spirit. And so we're getting an insight here of this truth that we see taught in the Bible. That Jesus um, is speaking here as the Son to the Father uh, by the Spirit. So we have one God, three persons, united together. We're talking about the three united together. Tri-unity, or as we call it, Trinity. And this is where we're seeing it again. It comes up so often in the Bible. But here we get a glorious insight into what that means. So we have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One being who exists eternally in three persons. And look what we see is the relationship between the persons of the Trinity. What do we learn about them? Well, chapter 16, verse 4, we've already seen this. Uh, sorry, 16, verse 14. Jesus tells us this about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. But look what we're told here. The Son is praying to the Father, and he's saying, I want to glorify you, and I pray that you would glorify me. So we're getting something here. We're touching on something. They, the, each person of the Trinity wants to glorify the other. What does glorify mean? That would be a helpful thing to think about now, wouldn't it? What does glorify mean? Well, when you glory in something, you are enjoying that thing for its beauty, for its magnificence. And, and that leads you to adore it. You're not getting anything out of it. You're not getting anything in return. You're just beholding and you're amazed and you are adoring. You are glorifying. See, that, it's different, isn't it? You can, you can see something is beautiful, you can enjoy something, but not glorify it, because you're getting something out of it. One uh, writer illustrated it this way, and it, it kind of resonates with me, because it was true for me as well. So I'll change it to be for me, even though this isn't my illustration, but I did study music. And at the time when I was studying music, I would study pieces of music, and I would write about them. And, and um, why would I do that? Well, I'd listen to the music and I'd write about it in order to get a good mark for, for, for an essay. And why did I want a good mark? Well, I want a good mark to get a good degree 
um, eventually to get a, a job. You know, that was the, the aim, wasn't it? That's why, why you'd go to university. So there I was, listening to this music, but I wasn't really glorifying it. I was using it. I was using it to give me a good mark so that I could get uh, a job at the end of it. Yeah, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't glorifying it. I was just using it. However, now, when I listen to some of those pieces of music that I studied, I can just enjoy them for what they are. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm just enjoying it. I'm just beholding. I'm just you know, glorifying that piece of music, enjoying the beauty of it. Do you see the difference? You know, the same way you might go up to the top of a mountain and you behold the view. You are glorifying that view because you get nothing out of it. You know, you're just enjoying it. You're adoring it. Or you might uh, see the sunset or look at the stars on a clear night. You're just beholding, enjoying, adoring, glorifying. So the father here, we're told, um, is going to glorify the son. The son is going to glorify the father. And the spirit, we're told, wants to glorify the son. So all, be, all the persons of the Trinity here wants to honor the other, wants to serve the other, wants to love the other. There's self-giving love within the Godhead. Now, I know this is deep, but this is amazing news. Think about it with me. When you see someone or you find someone that you adore, that you um, find beauty in, and then find out that they adore you in return, what's that? That's wonderful, isn't it? That's great. Well, there is joy, there's happiness there. So as we think of who God is, the Father um, loving and serving and glorifying the Son, the Son doing the same to the Father by the Spirit, all together, we see there is joy, there is relationship, there is adoration, there is love. This is the God we have. Now, just before we go any further, in Isaiah 42, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I will not give to another. And yet Jesus here says, God, my Father, glorify me. So before we go any further, do we see what Jesus is telling us about himself here? He is equal with God the Father. He is God in the flesh. So we're seeing so much here about God. He is triune. Uh, three persons, uh, one God. There, there is this relationship within the Godhead where they all want to uh, serve and, and love one another and glorify one another. And then that helps us to see something. Why did God make us? Why on earth do we exist? You know, God had this joyful existence before time began. Why on earth did he create us? He didn't create us to get love because he already had that. He didn't create us to get love created us to share in his love, to enjoy the love of uh, God. Verse 22 is quite an amazing verse in this passage. It tells us that Jesus wants to give glory to us. So this love that's within the Godhead, this glorifying that's within the Godhead, it pours out into us. Now before we go on to the second point, do you see what this means for us today? God made us to invite us to be part of the love uh, that we've seen there. Here is a God that invites us to know him, to enjoy him, this God of love and joy, a, a God who created us out of the overflow of love within the Godhead. Now, is this the God you have in mind? When you think of praying to God, when you think that you have an opportunity to talk to him, to learn about him, to meet with him, is this the God you have in mind? A God full of love and joy. 
This is the God who we can experience. This is the God who we can get to know. Um, Jesus' words in Revelation came to mind as I was preparing this. Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God wants to commune with us. Here he is, this joyful, glorious being waiting. Remember what Psalm 16 tells us? In his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is God. This is who he is. And he longs for us to spend time with him, enjoying him, serving him. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, or if you're thinking these things through and wondering if God is real or not, maybe you might even say, I don't believe in God. Can I ask you to, to answer this question? Which God is it that you don't believe in? Because often when people say they don't believe God, they'll describe some uh, kind of um, dictator in the sky who's horrible uh, and, and overbearing and not at all the God of the Bible. But when we see here, we might agree the God you don't believe in, Christians don't believe in either. This is the God of the Bible. The great news, the good news that God is a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, full of glory. Who is God? Well, these few verses help us just get an insight into who he is. The Father loving and glorifying the Son, the Son loving and glorifying the Father, and the Spirit wanted to glorify Jesus Christ. This is who God is. Secondly, then, let's ask this question, well, who are we? Now, the passage that we're looking at doesn't really, we're splitting into three, uh, I'm splitting into three as we look through it, but the themes kind of go all over the place, and we'll see some of these things coming up. I just want to pause for a moment and see this truth about God being triune makes a big difference for who we are. John Calvin, the famous theologian, said, um, the better we, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, the better we know God, the better we'll know ourselves. So if you truly want to know who you are, you need to know who God is. And so if this amazing insight into the Godhead is here, that he is triune, that shows us something really important about us. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, serving, loving, glorifying one another. So he created us, remember, why? Out of an overflow of love. This is how one writer puts it. The universe is an explosion of God's glory. Perfect goodness, beauty, and love radiate from God and draw creatures to an ever-increasing share in the Godhead's joy and delight. The ultimate end of creation is union in love between God and loving creatures. Do you see that? It's an explosion of God's love. That's why we exist. God uh, wanted to share the love that he experienced within the Godhead with us. and wants us to be part of that. Glorifying God. Always looking out. So what does that mean about the universe? It means something quite profound. The heartbeat of the universe is love. As far back as you go in time, before time began, there was love. The reason for all existence is that relationship. Love and relationships is what life is all about, ultimately because of who God is. Now, if you throw God out, what is love? Well, if you dismiss God and say he doesn't exist, then love is simply chemical reactions. It's simply a biological thing that helps us to, to keep and survive as, uh, as beings. Nothing more than that. But if you have God, who is love, then love is as important as we think it is. 
If we were to go out on the streets today in my stake and ask people, what is life all about? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? You know, when it comes down to it, when we scrape away all the other things, it'll come down to love and friendships or family, relationships. That's what it comes down to. We live as if that is the most important thing, and the Bible explains to us why, because of who God is and what he's like. This is uh, the heartbeat of the universe. The reason we were made was because God is love. So we were made to experience the love of God, to show the love of God to others and uh, to enjoy him. So what went wrong? Well, we were created uh, in God's image. So we were created to, like the, uh, we, we've seen that the Father loving the Son by the Spirit. We were created to love others, to be outward looking, because love is never static. It's always looking out. So we were created to love um, others and to love God, to, for our love to be going outwards. But what happened? Well, in Garden of Eden, in paradise, that love, instead of being outward, Adam and Eve said to God, we're going to do this on our own. And their love turned back in on itself. Love turned uh, inward. Do you notice the first thing that was a consequence of Adam and Eve turning away from God? What does it say? It's the bit that gets kind of uh, people snigger at in Sunday school. Because they realize that they were naked. You think, well, why is that there? They've just turned away from God. Why, why do they have to mention that? Well, they were so outward looking before that moment. Their love was always that way that they hadn't even looked at themselves, they hadn't noticed. But as soon as they turned away from God, their love was going inward, and they were aware of themselves. That was the consequence. And so now, as a human race, what do we see all around us? We're self-absorbed, self-serving, self-centered. We use others rather than loving them. We use others for our own gain. And that is so subtle sometimes that what can look like love and service for other people, we do for ourselves. We do to make ourselves feel better. So, and this selfishness has devastating effects. The air all around us that we breathe tell us the most important person is you. You need to make sure that you are okay. Don't sacrifice your needs for anybody else. Um, and that's the way to find peace and comfort and joy. Look after yourself. Don't think about anybody else. Now, we might not initially think that that's a problem. But can you see how if we're obsessed with ourselves, the per that means that everybody else gets cut out. That means that relationships break down all around us. We consume most of our thinking, don't we? And we think about ourselves. Most of our thoughts are taken up with ourselves, our needs, our desires. And on a small scale, that breaks up relationships with family, with friends, because we can just, we only think of our own needs and what can further our, um, our situation. We put our interests before others. And on a small scale, relationships break down. But on a wider scale, when you put that in this place of nations, when we're only looking at, at our, ourselves and our needs, what happens? You get wars, you get, everything falls apart. So understanding who God is helps us to understand who we are and the problem with this world. It shows us we were created to love others. Think of how when Jesus asked, can you sum up the law and the commandments? He said, love God, love others. Love to be outward looking. But love has turned in on itself and we've ended up being self-centered instead of God-centered. And that's the devastating effects we see all around us, isn't it? I'm sure we can see that in our own hearts and lives how we've ended up using instead of loving others. 
we're in a mess as humans and we need to be saved well this passage is going to help us because we've looked at who god is the passage shows us that as a consequence helps us think of who we are but now let's ask this question to finish how then can we be saved if this love is turned in on itself as we've turned away from this glorious joyful being in god how can we have that relationship we were made for restored well let's come back to this passage here is jesus praying about the cross he says verse one the hour has come if we were reading through john's gospel if you sat and read it through just before this service you'd that would be ringing kind of bells you'd think oh i've heard that before in john chapter two uh, when he makes turns water into wine you know his mother comes and said jesus they need more wine and he says my hour has not yet come my time has not yet come chapter seven and eight we hear that phrase again jesus says my hour has not yet come my time hasn't come and in chapter 12 he says my time's come the hour has come so the whole reason for the son of god the eternal son of god coming into this world was about to arrive and he was saying this is it this is the moment and he is praying father glorify me he is praying that people will see how great and how awesome and how majestic god really is because jesus wants to be glorified so that he can glorify the father and how do we see that where do we see god in his glory it's at the cross isn't that a surprise it's in the humiliation of a broken body of somebody who is just um uh, beaten and bruised and weakness and darkness that is where we see the glory of god how what is going on well the cross is going to show us who god is and what he's like he's a god of justice who can't um let uh, sin go unpunished but he is a god of love who is willing to center his love on us and to put our needs before his own so he gives us and, and opens up a way for us to know god through the cross see what do we deserve for this kind of self-serving self-centeredness well one of the ways that we see god uses his judgment in the bible is to give us what we choose to give us that um, if you choose that fine you have that so what do we get if we choose ourselves instead of god god says fine don't have me don't have my goodness don't have that love that you were created to know and so he we deserve to be cast out to be forsaken and you see that's exactly what jesus took on the cross he was forsaken he was cast out he experienced not the love of the father but at the throne he experienced the punishment we deserved so that we could be forgiven and enter into that loving relationship that deep down we all long for and that we were created for so these words show what it means to be a christian jesus said the hour has come glorify um, glorify your name through glorifying me father help them to see that how much i love them help them to see how dangerous sin is help them to see that they can be part of this loving relationship they were created to know so how can we be part of it through the cross and look what we're told here about the cross verse 2 since you have given him the son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him jesus is saying i have the authority i make it possible for you to have eternal life if you want to live forever with me in heaven i make that possible i have the authority 
How do you have eternal life? How can you know God forever? You go to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We've seen John 14. But notice what he tells us about this eternal life. He doesn't say, um, you come to me and then you earn it. No, it says, I give it to you. It is a gift. This isn't earned. This is grace. How do we enter into this relationship of love that we were created to know with this glorious, joyful God? Through his gift. And in verse 4, we see something similar, because he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. He is saying it is done. There is nothing more to be added. I have done this work, so I have accomplished something. Jesus doesn't come into the world and say, here it is, here are the rules you need to obey to reach me. If you keep them, fingers crossed, you can be, have eternal life forever. No, he says, I've come to do something. I've accomplished it. He is saying, this is good news. It is finished. It is done. It is complete. As he said on those, the words on the cross, isn't it? It is finished. No more to add. So can you see here how Jesus is saying, the moment has arrived. This is why I've come. If you want to see who I am and what I'm like, look at the cross. There I am loving and serving you. I am putting your knees before myself because that is who I am, a God of love, a God who has pursued you in the darkness that you're in, pursued you in the dangers that you're in, and laid down my life because I love you so much. When our thoughts about God become twisted, when we start to think that he doesn't really love us, that he's not really caring about us, that he doesn't have our best interests, we go to the cross and there we see again, here is who God is. Here is him in his glory. He's given it all up for us. Now, can you see as well, salvation is complete. If you're a Christian here today, breathe that in. It is done. It is finished. You can't do anything to add to it or take away from it. Are you enjoying that? Are you benefiting from that? Are you resting in that? Or are you saying, thank you for what you've done, Jesus, now I will try and add to it. Thank you for what you've done, but now I need to add my good works to this to make sure of it. No, no, Jesus says it's accomplished. I give it to you. It's complete. Enjoy that this week. Breathe that in. Glory in it. And God says, come and spend time with me. When we taste of God's presence, it is a joyful taste. It is a joyful thing. And so this week, we get the privilege of being able to spend time with him. We get the privilege of living our life trusting in him. This good God who is full of love towards you, which is shown at the cross. When's the last time you stopped and just reflected on the cross? I know we sing about it. Maybe we read about it sometimes. But don't we need to spend time here? Don't we need to think about what Jesus has done for us and how God the Father uh, did all of this and planned all of this and Jesus completed it and the Holy Spirit makes it real in our hearts. Let's pray for triune God to affect our hearts for us to live in the light of it this week. And if you're not a Christian, can you see that you're never going to be good enough? Because often we can think, oh, I can't be good enough for God. Or, he won't accept me. Look at the cross. Look at what he's done. He's done it all for you. It's complete. He says, I want to give you something. So don't get your checkbook out and say, right, how much do I owe you? He says, it's done. I've paid for it. It's complete. It's a free offer. What are you going to do with it? Here he is, Jesus is saying, I've done this for you. I've done this. Won't you accept it? What are you going to do with his offer this morning? 
What are you going to do with Jesus? Now, I know we've only looked at five verses, and I know there's bits that we've even left out of those five verses, but we will revisit some of the themes that Jesus picks up here. But I think it was important for us to stop and see what this can teach us about who God is. He is triune God, this self-giving, loving, glorifying God, joyful being, one God, three persons. It is great news. Yes, it's mind-blowing and, and sometimes confusing, but it is good news. It makes sense of who we are. The heartbeat of the universe is love. And so we need, instead of our love to be turned in on itself, we need again to have our love focused on God, glorifying him and loving and serving others. And the way that is done is not by just navel gazing, not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at God, by feeding on his selfless love for us. We are then filled up to be able to share that love with other people. So let's pray that we are filled by the Spirit, that we would enjoy his finished work, and that we would see, thank you for the cross. Thank you for showing me who you are, Lord. Help me to live that out. Let's pray that that would shape us and move us this week. And maybe today is the time you need to put your trust in him for the first time. Why not now? What is stopping you? Here is Jesus in his glory. The hour has come. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments just in reflection, uh, just thinking about what this passage shows us and what we've heard, and think how that's going to make a difference in your life this week. I'll just give a few moments for us to reflect on that. And maybe this might be a time for you to pray for the first time, God, would you forgive me? Let's pray. Father, as we look at a passage like this and think on these words, we know that we are um, scratching the surface. There is so much to see, so much to know, so much to experience of you. We pray that even this morning, as we've heard, you will have given us a glimpse of who you are, of your greatness, of your glory. Please, Lord, help us to love you more as we reflect on your amazing love for us. Lord, we pray specifically for those who don't yet trust in you. Help them, Lord, to see your glory, to see your love, to see the gift of salvation. And I pray that they would accept that today. Say, yes, Jesus, I need you. We pray that you would do this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen.